You're listening to a DM podcast. Use this as a skill that you can actually talk to people where they are. This isn't something to be apologetic about. We're not working for big organisations and that's good. It gives us a, a freedom to find stories that aren't being told. Never be afraid to ask people about things that you you want to hear about. Amen. Get down to the pub and start chatting to strangers. It's true. <laughs> Wherever that is, you know, at the football or just where people's, where the curtains are down, where they're actually relaxed, that's where the great stories are. All right. Welcome back to Behind the Podcast with Stocks and Jules. I'm Stocks. And I'm Jules. And today we're talking with Nance Haxton of the Streets of Your Town podcast. Great little chat with Nance today. Really fun. She's an absolute pioneer of podcasting. Yep, she won a Radio Walkley back in 2001 for her reporting on the Woomera Detention Centre riot. So she's been in this audio storytelling space for over 20 years. She used to work with ABC and has decided to go out on her own and just travel around the country, really, speaking to journalists, people, unique Australians with interesting stories, and just trying to get that slice of Australian life captured in audio. She has some fantastic insights on podcasting, but also on interviewing, interviewing techniques, and just how to approach people and find a story. Yeah, and she's absolutely lovely. So, without further ado, let's get on in. Nance, tell us about the podcast. Yes, well, I'm the wandering journo now, so I was with ABC for about nearly 20 years. Um, So I really developed my love of audio then, and I think when I left I soon realised that I just wouldn't be able to give that up. And so I've been doing my various podcasts since, but Streets of Your Town is is my little personal passion project, my lovely side hustle that keeps me going. And uh, I just wanted to see one of the things that I bought myself when I left the ABC as some sort of comfort was my clapped out cantankerous combi, Mildred. Yep, Mildred. So I thought I'd see, I wonder what stories I could get driving around in Mildred. So if you, if you track back through the episodes, you'll probably see when she's breaking down and how far out of Brisbane I could get, yeah. basically. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a number of like you know production things you need to be aware of yeah. at the best of times, not to mention a... a Potentially faulty combi van oh, or yes. cantankerous fault. I, I'm very good friends with my mechanic now. <laughs> it would be fun to have a little web app that you can see where Mildred yeah, is. Where's Mildred, Mildred heading? <laughs> oh, still it. in the same place as the mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. Some more Brisbane stories. But yeah, I, I, yeah. I've been really tr- trying to get stories from across Australia, particularly when I did my Journal Project, which was the Series 2. So I was really really interested in making sure I had a good cross-section of people from Adelaide and, you know, some of the cities that we just don't, I don't think we hear enough about even in this little podcast space. So, yeah. Were you doing a lot of travel at all, like with ABC Radio or even Griffith University? I did. I um, I worked, I suppose my first job was at Port Augusta in the outback of South Australia. So I remember when I got that job, um, I was at Quest Newspapers as a print journal at that point. And when I got the job at Port Augusta, I thought, oh, it's near the water. It might be not like Noosa. So that oh. should be <laughs> nice. I can swim on the weekends. and But, I mean, it was the best thing I ever did. It really, that was where I learnt my craft, you know, and I got to know maybe not the the Spencer Gulf, didn't do much swimming in there, but I did go um, up to the Flinders Ranges and fell in love with that big sky desert country, you know. So you were covering about half of South Australia? Yeah, from from Port Augusta, two-room office, which they don't even have anymore, which actually makes me sad because I think um, the independence of that, um, I'm sort of glad I was a bit older when I went there and not like a fresh-faced 21-year-old. I think that would have been tough, but... You know, as a late 20s uh, journo learning the ropes, it was perfect. I'd jump in, 
the full drive. They gave me full wheel drive training, which I did around oh, the, the, you know, the flats around the Flinders Ranges and learned how to drive through sand and learned how to have a little nap on the side of the road when you were <laughs> driving through Gibber country because it is just mesmerising. Like there's nothing but Gibber between Port Augusta and Woomera where I got uh, my stories that uh, won a, a Walkley for. So that sort of vindicated my choice to go out back and to learn how to tell stories that are a bit off the beaten track. So you won the Walkley 2001. That was for the Woomera riots, is that right? Yeah. And that was a radio Walkley. Yeah, so I heard, heard it on the, the police scanners as they had then. It's not so much a thing now, but that there was a riot going on up there. So I rang the Adelaide ABC newsroom, heading up, and an hour later there I was at Woomera, which is kind of very X-Files little town. It certainly was then. And was trying to get information on what was happening and nobody wanted to let me see. So then I rocked up to the petrol station and there was the guy with the full body tats who uh-huh. <laughs> aimed on the face. And I was like, hi, oh, yeah, I'm just trying to find out what's going on at the at the Woomera Detention Centre. He said, oh, mate, just get up on the roof. You've got a really good view up there. <laughs> so there I was sort of filing up there for hours. Yeah, eventually I... Filed pretty much on the hour for about 24 hours on the... Off on the roof. Yep, for for certainly a few hours up there and then got down on the ground and, yeah, and you could see the the water cannon being used on the poor detainees for the first time and the razor wire and so, yeah, that was just another lesson of, yep, sometimes you got to ask even the scary-looking people, you know. Yeah. You get some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, heart of gold (laughs) and a great rooftop view. Exactly. You just don't know. You can't judge people by how they look. Yeah. And did old mate bring you up some snacks during the time? No, I think he just forgot about me. You fill up the four wheel drive. Have fun, have fun, love. Up you go. Um, yeah, that's the outback for you. They're pretty trusting generally. Yeah, I learnt how to enjoy black coffee in the outback too because yeah. you're just never quite sure how good the milk was. Yeah, fair enough. Shortage of uh, hipster baristas out <laughs> oh, there. Oh my lord! Yes, and you'd rock up to a, a servo with a big coffee machine and pay your five bucks, and then they'd still go out the back and put the kettle on, and you're like. No, we don't know how to use it. (laughs) (laughs) So was that what it was a bit like then? You'd have the police scanner open and just kind of wait for the stories to come through? Pretty much. And building contacts with the beautiful Aboriginal people there, the Adnamutna guys. You know, they don't send you a press release. So it was really good basic journalism, getting back to building contacts, ringing people when there was nothing on because you still had a bulletin to get out of what was happening in Port Augusta and Port Piri. So that's I just learnt to ring the different stations and loved the Aboriginal guys out there and just going... I actually won a big media piece award for going up to their homelands and doing a story on what they were doing up there with tourism at Igawater and... Just so, I saw parts of the country I never would have. Yeah, and otherwise. you were able to promote what they were doing as well. Yeah, yeah. In one of your episodes, you mentioned a quote that one of them gave you where you said, journalists are like seagulls. They fly in, shit on them, and leave. <laughs> yeah, that was the Adnamata guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're pretty frank. <laughs> Is this also where you came across one of your other mantras I've seen on your website? Reveal injustice by giving people who do not have access to the media a voice. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm still trying to do that with my podcast now. Like, I grew up um, with my beautiful brother who's got an intellectual disability and I think that just really honed, I think, my sense of empathy. Like, Mm. I've realised I just couldn't have been as good a journo without him. I've learnt to read people quite intuitively. It's not just 
what people say. So to actually enable people like Ashley to have their story told has motivated me right through my career. And you grew up in Queensland? I did, yeah. Good old Brisbane, Mount Gravatt girl. So uh, moving out to Port Augusta was definitely the big adventure. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm glad I didn't really know what I was doing. I was good. <laughs> I yeah. think I might have freaked out otherwise. I didn't didn't know anybody in South Australia let alone Port Augusta, but, you know, and now I can still ring the fellas at the radio station and say, hi, you know, thinking I'm coming through, great, yeah, no worries, when do you want to stay at our place? And they just don't forget you and you make those wonderful outback connections. Yeah, that's unreal. So a lot of those are still paying dividends today. Definitely, yeah. Friendships. You can't really say paying dividends. That just sounds oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> it does, yeah. in, in a way, like, because you, I can still ring them for a story and yeah. they trust me. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, that trust that yeah. hasn't been built up with other people who haven't done the time. And because I stayed longer than six months yeah. and didn't just shit on them and leave, yeah. um, you know, I was there a couple of years. They, they never forget that. They never forget that. And so when did podcasts start coming into your radar a bit more and you thought this might be something, you know, a way that you could pursue? Yeah, well, um, when I was at ABC, I was working for probably 15 years or so on the national programs AMPM and The World Today. And they were probably some of the first, I suppose, to go into podcasts. Not that they were really cool podcasting then, but I remember I'd email everyone out or, or send on on your SMS the link to the story and they'd have the online link with the transcript and you could click on it and hear the audio. It was this fabulous thing I had to explain to my parents for about two hours. But that's where I first realised this is cool. This gives you, uh, it's so much more. Live radio is awesome and it, you know, tells what's happening really immediately. Mm. But this just gives it a whole new life. I still, when I do some university teaching, will we'll click on my live crosses from Woomera of the petrol station and play it to them. I mean, that's incredible, you know. We're, yeah. we're just in such a lucky generation. So that's probably when it first came on my radar. But then to realise you could actually build an audience, that was my big thing after leaving the ABC, was building confidence in myself as a storyteller that I'm not an ABC journo, I'm a... I'm a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Geno regardless of where I am. And it's been really wonderful and the freedom to come with driving wherever I want to go or when she's not working, flying. Um, yeah. <laughs> if Mildred's cooperating, it's good. But, yeah, and recording my voices in the back of a combi van at the Nisa Caravan Park or wherever I am. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. And to be able to upload it from your laptop if you've got a hotspot and things are just... Yeah, it blows my mind when I think of the sat phones and all the things we had to deal with and, you know, UHF radios that I had to file stories on in the outback. <laughs> Holy dooly, it's completely changed. And so, yeah, tell us about a bit about the kind of wandering journal. Like, how did this come about and, and even tying in Mildred into this kind of approach? I mean, it's certainly adding in the a lot of risk there. <laughs> yeah, it's me with my head coming out of the, the window in my logo. Yeah, I think I, I sat. I, I'm really glad when I left ABC to begin with, I took a couple of months to just sit and think about what I wanted to do. You know, not just what you want to earn money with, but yeah. what do I want to do? And... I love travelling and I knew I wanted to keep it once a journo, always a journo. Luckily I had a few mates who told me that even though I'd left. And I think you, you miss the newsroom but you are always a journo. So, yeah, yeah I put those things together and thought, yeah, wandering journo. And I think it stuck because I can do all my little side projects and they all fit really well under that banner and it was lovely yesterday at the podcast conference someone came up to me and said oh Nan Saxon you're the wandering Jenna I was like yes yeah. <laughs> it's only taken three years we've got traction <laughs> but yeah it's been really fun to 
establish your own brand and make merch and yeah. you know, design a logo and hand out pens and magnets mm. and but to realize that your yourself and the way you do your journalism can be a brand too and I, to find that people have supported me even in my newsletter I do a wandering journal newsletter whenever a new episode comes out and uh, on Substack but people are willing to pay for that to put petrol in my van and so I can keep on going and fix the engine for the umpteenth time. Um, <laughs> everyone keeps saying, there's such simple engines in a VW. Mm. It's like, yeah, when they're mm. working. Yeah. <laughs> I now know what a distributor is. We've got a new distributor that an has changed intimate my Intimate knowledge of the Volkswagen uh, yeah. engine. <laughs> so people are willing to support independent journalism yeah, in this country. Fantastic. Thank goodness for that because it, it's a bit of a grim outlook at times for press freedom, then I've really just, I feel such a responsibility to, yeah, my audience and the, the little inner circle of people on my my uh, website and then further out to the listeners of the podcast. Yeah. So where did you decide to jumping off point to start your first episode? Well, that was with the beautiful David Hinchliffe, who's a wonderful artist up in Brisbane. And I thought, who's somebody who I know would run with this idea when I haven't even established this this podcast yet, but who's good talent? And it turned out he was great. We walked around his little uh, streets of New Farm, and he told me about the the lady of the night who'd mm. lived next door and <laughs> bought their house with a bottle of pennies. I was like, oh my lord, <laughs> it was just brilliant. So again, you never know who you will. Like, it's not like he was even a great friend. He was a contact. That beauty of the old journal contacts, you never lose that contact book. And just if you don't ask, you don't get, you know. Yeah. Hi, David, would you mind doing this weird podcast thing that I want to launch? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. You've, <laughs> you've interviewed some incredible journalists along the way. Ah, thank I mean, you. It feels like, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before, there's a camaraderie of a club that is journos. So if Jules and I were trying to talk to some of these journos, we'd be like, oh, maybe. And then when we spoke to them, it would be a completely different conversation <laughs> yeah. to what you're having. Yeah. So I feel like there's... And then on the next tier on that, it's, does it feel like there's a Walkley fraternity or something? Well, <laughs> yeah, so right. Yeah. Yeah. Certain accolades, yeah. you move up the ranks. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think there's journeys just get it. They get the the pressures. I mean, it's a bit like nurses or cops or fireys. I think there's just a beautiful camaraderie there that um, that never leaves you. So that was a good confidence builder for me too, to know that even once I left ABC and rang these guys to do the journal project, like Sandra Sully and Hugh. Remington and Mark Willisy that they were like, yeah, sure, you know, when you want to come around. So it was just the insights that they were able to give um, and I felt that that rapport that you have, I think it is partly because we're all part of that journal club. Mm, and as people who don't get to speak about themselves very often. Exactly. Giving us reporting on things and some of the great journals aren't inserting themselves in. I mean, listening to the Mark Willisy episode. Definitely. Where he was saying, he really prides himself not inserting himself into it. That's right. Yeah. And I just loved some of the tips he had that he never takes his phone with him even on in, when he's meeting contacts for the first time. So that Peter Dutton is always watching. <laughs> he can't be tracked. But he's still got his notebooks and it just showed, like, those insights, I think. You know, I love teaching at university, but, wow, I, I think those practical insights yeah. from amazing journos, uh, it was wonderful to get, you know, a couple of a dozen of them and really go into their practice and how different they were, what their backgrounds were. You know, some came from really amazing well-off backgrounds and others just fell into journalism and, yeah, and there's a place for everyone. That's what a good newsroom is where mm. you've got a whole range of people with a different approach. 
For sure. And you have gone from, you know, the Jono project and, and doing the stories of survival and those kind of different voices across all of the interviews that you're doing. How do you go about finding the subjects for those interviews? I mean, if you're traveling around, do you have a list of people that you want to visit or you've done some pre-work and yeah. then hopefully it's- Mildred will play <laughs> we'll ball? <cooperate>. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Umundi um, Hotel when I when I ended up up there, the Imperial Hotel at Umundi, that was definitely one time where Mildred was cooperating and just talking to people in town. Who do you think would be interesting? I was doing, I think it was a painting workshop up there. And she said, oh, yeah, the hotelier would be awesome. So Mel Manley, she was incredible. Then you talk to her. She's not just this amazing owner of the Imperial Hotel. She also has this whole charity. She set up an orphanage and then found out the orphanage was fake and oh. that the, the the children weren't actually orphans. They, their parents were still alive. Like this was all in Nepal. You know, how devastating would that be? Like, I just love when you get that rapport with someone and they just slowly reveal the layers of the onion and peel that off. So rather than just completely going to ground and dismantling what she'd set up, she was like, right, we're going to set up a charity where we reunite everyone with their parents. And that's what she did. So it's wonderful to have that excuse to speak to people, to have my Streets of Your Town podcast. And I've been so rarely said no. You know, People just seem to really run with it, which is beautiful. I think it's that idea of we all have a story. Mm. You know, whether you're journos who, and they're often not, as you say, they're not hurt. Um, they're so busy doing the stories, presenting the stories. The way they do their stories is not heard. So I'm trying to reveal those stories from the back lots or even in the middle of the city. You know, the last couple I spoke to Katie Noonan, I just felt that the arts in Australia has been so decimated yeah. with COVID and had no support. So sometimes it's a bit random, sometimes it's planned. It's a bit of a, the journo life, I think. <laughs> and the format of the show itself, I mean, throughout the various episodes, you know, they can range from under 10 minutes to kind of 45 plus it's or true. so. Did you kind of have an inkling of like you wanted to keep it a bit Variety based on the subject. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. It does depend on the talent a bit. I mean, I think ideally it's good to be about 20, 20, 30 minutes, but if someone's amazing and so rich like Hugh Remington, I'm not going to cut them off. I'm not going to trim it back to 30 mm. minutes. So I just really try and run with the content and how people open up and, uh, yeah, not, not trim unnecessarily, but it's, uh, yeah, that's the independence of being on your own can sometimes be hard. We're sitting there in the, on your little... Apple laptop trying to edit back thinking, oh, what do I do? (laughs) What part do I take out or leave it all in? And, you know, the way you approach it, most episodes you have a sort of final question. Always, always. um, And you'll hear it. And sometimes I think, oh, this sounds so clunky. But seriously, I have got so much joy from this question, I can't stop asking it. Is there anything that I've forgotten to ask that you would like to add? Far out. The number of intros that I have got from that question where people are like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot to tell you that, yeah, I was was an orphan raised on the side of the road or whatever it is that they had obviously had in their mind to tell you for this entire interview and and that becomes – you know, that whole renewed focus. Sometimes you'll even ask a couple of questions after that because <laughs> it's so and massive. completely warmed up at that point yeah. as I well. I think and, so. Yeah. And they're ready to – they've trusted you exactly, and yeah. they? They're ready to expose a bit more. Yeah, it's mm. interesting when you do do those interviews and you kind of – you roll through and you've got a, a list of things that you want to ask and topics you want to cover and everything, but, you know, a conversation goes the way a conversation goes. So That's it's right. nice just to have that way to pull it back. And I'm always trying to learn to listen. Mm. It's not about the questions. It's about – 
listening to people, I always tell my uni students, sure, write out all your questions. Then when you go in to do your interview, I want you to turn that page over. And they look at me like I am mad. But, you know, you know what your questions are. Turn it over and listen to people. Then at the end you might say, oh, I'll just check my questions. You know, this is the beauty of a pre-record. You can do that. But much better to be in the moment with that person and pick up their energy and, and respond to that. As I quietly shut my laptop. Yes, we do. Uh-huh. Ah! <laughs> I here that we are both running off laptops <laughs> and feeling a little bit sheepish right now. Pro tip. <laughs> uh, but it's just being flexible. You know, I think you can always tell when people are doing the rote thing of going one, two, three, and here's my number four question, which I researched. You know, no, yeah. it just sounds clunky, you know, run with it. Do you remember <laughs> your first interview that you did? I do. When I was a cadet at the Wynnum Herald, um, I was driving into work and there was a, these amazing statues of wood carvings, wood carvings by the side of the road in Wynnum. And I thought, oh, I think I'll just pull over there and have a look. I can't even remember this poor fella's name. But it turned out he basically was this guy who lived in Wynnum for ages. It's like a bayside suburb in Brisbane. And he was turning weeds into the most incredible faces and things out of that. And so I got into work late that day, but I told them I had a story and they were quite pleased in the end. But uh, (laughs) so I do remember that one. And, And again, trusting your gut instinct. Like if you see something that you think's a bit weird. If you're at a barbecue and people are talking about something over and over again, like this is, these are the stories in the making. They're not, they're not on a press release that is going to land on your lap, particularly now as an independent podcaster, I don't really get them anymore, which is probably good. Uh, so I'm not distracted by them. It's might be a sign on a cafe or that's where the stories lie. And you speak to a lot of people who doing these stories with people around Australia who might not necessarily, well, they're not in the public eye really at all. Like they might not be so familiar with the medium or the medium. How do you sort of get people to warm up to you and, and how long does it take to kind of get them rolling generally? Or yes, you do have a bit case? of a different interviewing technique for sure with people who aren't used to it or, as opposed to, you know, your Natasha Sotospoyers of the world or Senator Jordan Steele John I interviewed. He was amazing as well. That guy, he's got to be the leader of the Greens in a couple of years. But um, with people that you haven't met before who aren't familiar with it, it's making it as chatty as you can. And I think having that warm-up time before the interview even starts, that's really crucial, not rushing. And I think I learnt that in Aboriginal communities as well, that beautiful circular way of speaking. You just, you can't rush this stuff, you know, that... As soon as they sense a deadline, forget it, it's over. Like, you've, you've lost that story. So probably a bit of pre-planning, but working a bit ahead, which is against most journos' uh, natural way of, of being. <laughs> You're, like, trying to be a bit organised. But giving time, it's the best gift you can give anyone, whether it's in an interview or sitting listening to people. Just give it time. Do you give them an opportunity to listen back to the interview before you put them up or anything like that? Sometimes. More uh, because with the newsletter that I do a written version as well. Yeah. I've found lately I am actually getting them to check that too because I think it's a good opportunity to just make sure that I have understood what they're saying. And I think when I interviewed Lee Sales for the Journal Project, I was actually really relieved to hear that she was doing that more too with her interviews she did with her book. It's always been that traditional journalistic approach. Oh, you don't let anybody ever see what you're doing. I think there is there can be a bit of a balance. It mm. depends. It depends on that <laughs> that great conclusion. It depends. <laughs> it depends on the situation and the experience of the people involved. And 
And I think particularly if we're going to include more people from diverse communities or people with disabilities, as I want to do, or people who don't, the, the English is not their first language, you need to check with them that you're on that you're representing what their words are properly. Yeah. So if that involves checking, sure, yeah. And then with the kind of general editing process, I mean, you've mentioned doing this on your laptop. Are you doing this on the road as you're going along? Exactly. <laughs> I have to perfect uh, getting the battery situation. Yeah, I, with- <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have a little uh, PowerPoint at the back of Mildred, so I've now been able to plug into Caravan Parks and I can kind of Fantastic. have this lead going through all the back of my my van over the, the bed in the back and I can edit in there or in front of the telly. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of laptops. You can do it wherever you are. Have there been any kind of cases where you've got through an interview or anything like that and then realised, oh, no, I've had some sort of malfunction here? And <laughs> the remoteness of the way that you work, it must be very hard to kind of come back and... Oh, fix. well, there was... Run down to JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was definitely one... John Howard, there you go, that'll date me. John Howard was out at <laughs> Roxby Downs. Um, yeah, that's really out remote northern South Australia. And launching, he was opening a new mine, I think. And I remember doing all the interview and I had all the right cables and plugged it in and then went to listen to it back and had nothing but buzz. No, it was... <laughs> I just filed voices all afternoon with and John Howard said blah 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 and I uh, to the Adelaide newsroom and I remember them saying to me yeah maybe the next one you could actually put some grabs <laughs> from John in there oh no no look I think it's better he he really waffled on I think I'll just you know describe what paraphrase him and <laughs> yeah so it happens with your podcast what's the sort of proudest moment you've had with it goodness I think. I think the body of work, actually, I think from the Journo Project, I really look back on with a bit of pride because it evolved out of nowhere in a way. One of my beautiful subscribers, Deanna, suggested to me, hey, you know, you know, all these journos, you should talk to them. I'm like, well, yeah, I suppose. And it, it demystifies journalism a bit. I think people can think that these journos live on a different plane or they're a bit arrogant. And I hopefully kind of just took the veil down on a bit of that, that, they're people too and they worry about, you know, they wake at 2 o'clock in the morning about whether they spelt someone's name right or whether they put the right grab in. So, yeah, um, I look back on that and think, oh, yeah, I should really write a book about that. and Definitely. <laughs> get yeah. some of that yeah. out into, yeah, the unis and to – because we don't have cadetships anymore. You yeah. know, we don't have that beautiful sense of – I think I was one of the last, you know, people to kind of do it in that traditional sense where the senior journeys – pass down that lovely stuff to you mm. in a practical sense but that's that is all gone so we've got to try and replicate that in the best ways we can with a podcast that you can listen to on when you're driving out to a story or mm. uh, a book that you read before going to bed yeah. absolutely because the media has just been lumped into this you guys you know the yes. media and it's so important to humanize yeah. the people behind it and the craft and the fact that it's not just one blob exactly. it is a bunch of people doing their best work and it's such an important service as well and yeah. it's asking questions questioning i guess if things that the government do, does or companies do or society does i mean it's, it's so crucial and the yeah. press freedom is not legislated in this country people are quite surprised when you tell them that it's basically this obscure sort of high court um, decision but it's it's really it's actually not legislated so we need to cherish that if we don't it will go you know this is not the us where they've got specific, what is it, the second... Yeah, baked into the Constitution. Yeah, yeah that's right, right. Yeah. the Second Amendment. Um, it is, we have to value that or 
it will be gone. It, it, and, it, and it's eroded over time. It doesn't happen with one big bang. It happens when we lose respect for the media. Um, and I'm not saying we should lionise them either and, you know, worship them, but we have press freedoms here that are so precious that other countries have absolutely nothing close to it and you see what happens to their democracies as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Just coming back to your Substack for a minute, can you explain to us what that is? So Substack is this new kind of Patreon um, model, but with uh, in, tied in with a newsletter. And I, the reason I liked it is because I could embed my podcast in it as well as getting the newsletter out. So I put the podcast at the top, do a bit of a, you know, um, online story of summarising what that person was talking about, um, Trent Dalton and his new book coming out or whatever it is, and then uh, people can sort of interact with it both ways and people can either uh, access it for free or they can be a paid subscriber. So I found it's worked pretty well and it's actually been building over time. So it gives you that intimate kind of connection beyond the podcast, I think, with your your tribe or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, your tribe, your audience, are you getting a lot of kind of interaction with them and it's a bit of a two-way street? I'd like to get a bit more. Yeah. I want to get the two-way thing. You know, it's interesting. One of the biggest posts I had last year on Substack, <laughs> ironically, was one that I didn't even have a podcast attached to. <laughs> I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and wrote a story about life with my brother and uh, it was just one of those sort of streams of consciousness things that it doesn't happen often in life but honestly it just connected with Mm. people people shared it it's trying to figure out how to get people's feedback that way so that it can hopefully channel into what stories I choose as well are you doing a lot of sort of live events and appearances and things like that where, you know, you can speak to people or through your teaching? Yeah, I um, well, unfortunately, of course, with the university teaching, it's yeah. all kind of fallen away, but um, I'd love to get back into it because I've taught wherever I've been based as a journalist, so Adelaide or Brisbane, I taught in Sydney for a while, and I think it just keeps it fresh, you know, the questions that you get from students, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure why we do do that. I'd better figure that out. Um, <laughs> just things you've taken for granted it's over a- <laughs> An ethical question. Why would you do that? Well, yep, okay. Um, we'll go back to the code of ethics and have a good look at that. Um, yeah, because it's it's an interesting profession like that. It's still got that tension of being a craft in some ways, but actually now being a profession as well. So I think they can both coexist. I'd like to think that that practical element's still really important. And what do the next six months look like for you? Back out on the road and... Yes, well, I'm thinking, I'm dreaming of Series 4, uh, Streets of Your Town, the road trip. I think Mildred is finally, my mechanic has got her to the point <laughs> that I can go beyond Bundaberg. This is very exciting. <laughs> the mechanic's getting a lot of press here. I, I think know. they're really going to have to do a very good job. I think I might have to do a magnet for him. Um, <laughs> I limped into Bundaberg. It was like a five-hour drive from Brisbane. I thought, oh, I don't think I'll be able to take this car much further. But I've got a really good friend in Vega, so that's... It's a good place to start. And if that goes well, you never know. I might go up to Jindabyne and see my friends up there and yeah, sure. interview the, some journos and people along the way and people at the bakery or just going to the pub and that great old journalistic tradition, going to the pub and talking to people about who they think are interesting in town. You generally can't go wrong. Or you could do the mechanic and just really yes. get to the bottom of this car. And <laughs> He might want to come with me just to ensure I get back. The mechanics yeah. of Australia, the road trip. <laughs> I do have a pop top. He could sleep up top. <laughs> Obviously, you're a prolific podcaster, Dan. Oh, thank you. And you do have a couple of podcasts you're working on, but I would love to know some podcasts that you're into. 
Fabulous. Well, there's you know there's something I've been into for a long time. The Guilty Feminist is a real cracker. They're, they're, she's just awesome. I love good sassy chicks. And I have to say, Batuta Advocate's been up there for ages. I'm <laughs> loving working with you guys. Excellent. Just awesome. Excellent. Um, probably, let's see, I'm just trying to remember. I've got a good mix. I try and support my indies, but even the ABC ones like Ladies We Need to Talk, that's that's a beauty as well. And um, Maynard, Planet Maynard, you know, for the Gen Xs among us. Oh, it's the, good to- as in <laughs> yeah. Maynard used to be on the radio. He has Whoa. got a podcast and it's awesome and it's full of the old music. And is, Was he like a double playlist? J god? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So that, that's a really good one to um, to listen to on good road trips. What's What's the format of that show? Uh, he pretty much interviews somebody different every week and also sometimes mixes in old, you know, interviews from that he did from those days 20, 30 years ago or, you know, and then what club he's playing at at the moment being a DJ. So it's really fun. It's just a, it's a fun, yeah, and some, there is so much woe in the world. Let's bring on the podcasts that are a bit of fun. A bit of fun, absolutely. Oh, agree, <laughs> agree, agree. Yeah, they're probably the main ones. And good old Headley Thomas with uh, Teacher's Pet. You just can't go past it. Although you can't download it anymore, I don't think, because of all the legal things going on. Yeah. It's where you want to get to with the investigative podcast. I want to get to the point where I'm not allowed to download that anymore. Now, that is where we've all got something to aim to. Well, you've mentioned a few there, and you've obviously had a very unique journey into podcasting yourself and, and certainly the way you're currently podcasting. Is there any advice that you could give that maybe people wouldn't have heard on Pod School, but yeah. <laughs> something unique to your own situation? Oh, look, I just think now it's so much easier to get into this industry, you know. Just get out there, start your blog, start your website. It's so much easier for people who aren't Gen Xs and get confused about these things and the technology. I still have all my people helping me, but seriously, just buy yourself an app on your phone. It can be as simple as that and a little mic from JB Hi-Fi or whatever, and that's a good start. And then if you're really enjoying it, get the better equipment and go up to your Roadcaster Pros and your microphones. and But I've still got a little studio at home in my little two-bedroom apartment shoved in the corner or in the back of Mildred with the curtains drawn. You can you know, use this as a skill that you can actually talk to people where they are. This isn't something to be apologetic about. We're not working for big organisations and that's good. It gives us a, a freedom to find stories that aren't being told. Never be afraid to ask people about things that you you want to hear about. Amen. Get down to the pub and start chatting to strangers. It's true. (laughs) Wherever that is, you know, at the football or just where people's, where the curtains are down, where they're actually relaxed, that's where the great stories are. Well, thanks very much for coming in and talking to us today. We've really appreciated the time. Is there anything that um, you didn't say that you'd like to say? (laughs) (laughs) Just thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's really great to talk to you guys and to encourage people that not all journos are horrible. We're okay. There's some good ones around and press freedom is a beautiful thing. (laughs) 